This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hunter Biden could use better lawyers or at least a better legal strategy. If he doesn't reverse course, the first son could soon find himself headed to the Hooskow. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Billionaire investor Michael Pinto has a warning for you. Don't listen to anyone who tells you how bad the crash will be and when it exactly will happen. Nobody knows. But the CEO of Wells Fargo warns the worst is yet to come for Americans. Pay attention to the economic data. Inflation is at a 40-year high. And make no mistake about it, the recession is real, no matter how the White House tries to change the definition. That's why Bloomberg, Goldman Sachs, and Jim Cramer are all calling for gold to surge. Gold and silver have historically moved opposite the stock market and in the long term can preserve your purchasing power. Call 800-809-8500 and Lear Capital, the number one rated gold company, will present the same trusted options they have been giving successful investors since 1997. At Lear Capital, most IRA rollovers qualify for no IRA fees for up to five years. Their current incentive offers up to $15,000 in bonus silver for well-qualified new customers. A three-minute call can protect your portfolio with the power of real physical gold. Call 800-809-8500 today. Again, that's 800 800- 809-8500 and tell them Greg Jarrett sent you. It's hard to make sense of Hunter Biden's senseless new strategy to tell Congress to go stuff it, but it's part of a paradigm of brazen intimidation designed to delay and deflect and shift blame. Shrinks will tell you it's a classic manipulative method employed by narcissistic people caught committing acts of wrongdoing. They're allergic to assuming responsibility, so, you know, they lie and they gaslight to avoid accountability. Recently, Hunter Biden's newly constituted team of high-priced attorneys threatened his critics in the media with defamation. That idea deflated faster than an exploding Chinese balloon. It was a silly and frivolous tactic. No one took it seriously. 
After all, Hunter managed to sully his own reputation, big time. He recorded images of himself smoking crack, snorting lines of coke, posing naked, performing sex acts with prostitutes, and cooking up all manner of greedy schemes to profit off his dad. It's all there right on his laptop, which eventually went viral. Suffice it to say that Hunter has no good name to damage. It can't be tarnished or soiled any further. And under the law, he is essentially slander-proof. Moreover, truth is a complete defense to defamation. So that foolish ploy by his lawyers, that's dead as a doornail. Hunter's legal team then demanded that his father's own Department of Justice and other government cronies criminally investigate and prosecute those who, quote-unquote, stole his laptop, which we all know was not stolen. It was abandoned. Within hours, though, his lawyers insisted, well, it might not be our client's laptop at all. (laughs) That mangled rationale was roundly mocked as verbal vomit and a desperate attempt to use nepotism as a means to obstruct justice. Undeterred, Hunter's legal team is now refusing to turn over records and communications held by the president's son that were requested by the House Oversight Committee. The first son's lead lawyer, Abby Lowell, a prolific donor to Democrats, claims his notorious client is perfectly entitled to defy Congress because the committee's probe, quote, lacks a legitimate legislative purpose and oversight basis, end of quote. Okay, stop laughing. I'll try to explain the folly of Abby Lowell's tortured logic. There are several reasons why Lowell's defiance is fundamentally wrong. First of all, and quite obviously, the legitimacy of a congressional investigation is not determined by the opinion of a target witness. Hunter's derogatory view of the committee's work, that's irrelevant. It's immaterial. It actually falls under the category of who gives a damn what you think. Second of all, the oversight duty of Congress to uncover government corruption is a well-recognized right. It derives from the vesting powers in Article I of the Constitution. And the U.S. Supreme Court long ago and repeatedly declared that such power is essential to the legislative function. In fact, it dates back to the early first Congresses. Committees have penetrating authority, far-reaching power to force witnesses to testify and to produce documents, period. Third, there's more than enough evidence established thus far to justify a legitimate legislative purpose for the committee to investigate further. Documents, emails, text messages, bank records, visitor logs, photographs, and witness statements strongly show that Hunter Biden was selling access to his powerful father along with promises of influence. America's foreign adversaries were Hunter Biden's paying clients, and boy, did they pay handsomely. China, Russia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, Romania, all of the countries over which 
Joe Biden exerted influence as vice president. That was no coincidence. So much overseas cash flowed into Hunter's accounts that U.S. banks flagged some 150 transactions as criminally suspicious. Oversight Committee Chair James Comer noted that the evidence indicates the president himself, Joe Biden, was complicit in his son's illicit schemes and that national security may be compromised. So yes, an investigation, it's not just legitimate, it's imperative. Now, Congress can enforce its power to investigate by having a reluctant witness such as Hunter Biden prosecuted for non-compliance to a subpoena. Now that Hunter's lawyer has rejected outright the committee's written request for documents, the next step is a formal subpoena for those records. If that too is ignored by Hunter Biden, then a vote would take place to hold him in criminal contempt of Congress. And all of this can happen very quickly, as former Trump aide Steve Bannon discovered when he was prosecuted and convicted for defying a congressional subpoena. A week later, Congress voted to hold him in contempt. The Department of Justice promptly filed criminal charges, and his trial proceeded expeditiously. Hence, unless Abby Lowell immediately withdraws this phalanx strategy of resistance, he is putting his client at risk of conviction and imprisonment. One can only assume that Hunter is happily on board by accepting the risk and granting permission to roll the dice. Now, why would Hunter do that? Well, maybe he and his counsel are merely bluffing at the outset in their refusal to comply. Perhaps they'll soon sound the retreat and surrender the documents. Well, don't bet on it. More likely, Hunter is counting on dear old dad to bail him out yet again. This has been a consistent pattern in his sordid life. Here's how his latest gambit goes. Joe Biden's hand-picked Attorney General Merrick Garland presides over the Department of Justice that would bring any such prosecution against the president's son for contempt. Congress doesn't prosecute. The DOJ does. And Hunter is likely calculating that Garland will not bring a criminal case against his own boss's son. Hunter's hoping to exploit to his advantage the AG's glaring conflict of interest and allegiance to his dad. And why not? The same conflict has worked splendidly for the Bidens. How else do you explain a five-year-old criminal investigation of Hunter Biden that has mysteriously produced no indictment despite compelling evidence of criminality? Well, the question answers itself. The fix is already in. It's embedded in cement. Garland has consistently refused to recuse himself despite federal regulations that require disqualification. So at this point, the Bidens may be asking themselves, hey, what's one more cover-up in our elaborate protection racket helmed by our good old buddy Merrick Garland? They're relying 
on the AG's refusal to prosecute. President Joe Biden is highly motivated to run interference for his son because Hunter's suspected corruption also implicates the father as both an active participant and a secret beneficiary. The laptop, which everyone now concedes is authentic, contains a treasure trove of incriminating evidence of multi-million dollar influence peddling schemes. As Comer said, this is not about Hunter Biden, it's about Joe Biden. Joining me now to talk about it is Devin Nunes, former California congressman who was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee from 2005 to 2019. He was instrumental, and I really underscore that word, in exposing the Russia collusion hoax. He's currently the CEO of Trump Media and Technology Group, which launched the social network Truth Social in February of last year. Congressman, many thanks for being back on The Brief. I appreciate it. Greg, it is an honor to be with you. Let's talk about Hunter Biden. Uh, He and his lawyers are refusing to turn over documents to the House Oversight Committee. Uh, And their excuse is uh, that the committee's investigation is illegitimate. What's your reaction to that strategy? (laughs) Well, you know, there's been an interesting wrinkle in the last few weeks, Greg, and I know you've covered that. And that is that Hunter Biden has hired very prominent lawyers and they're trying to target the family uh, of of the the gentleman, I think his name is John Isaac, John Paul Isaac. Uh, This is the guy who had the computer store in Delaware that Hunter Biden dropped this laptop off with. And of course, this guy did the right thing, noticing, you know, the guy didn't pay his bill. Hunter Biden didn't pay the bill. Um, I think he had it for, for many, many months. And finally, you know, he realized that there was so much illegal content on the laptop that he then took it to the FBI um, through his family. And, you know, just recently here, Greg, you've got, well, for so long, they said Russian disinfo, Russian disinfo, 51 generals, retired generals, intelligence professionals, all said Russian disinfo. And it was all buried by Twitter, Facebook, all the big social media companies right before the 2020 election. I know all your listeners know this, but the polling clearly showed that if the American people knew that that Hunter Biden laptop was real, it would have changed the outcome of the election. Well, there was the denial by Biden, the denial by Hunter Biden, the denial by the 51 uh, high-ranking former officials uh, that all said this was Russian disinformation. Well, now all of a sudden you had his lawyers come out and say, well, that was his laptop. Now they're going to sue saying it's his laptop. Well, it's a complete dichotomy of what we were dealing with the last two years and what the story was. So, you know, I don't know where this is going to go from here. It's a, it's a kind of a, I don't know what the right term is, Greg, maybe a ballsy move on Hunter Biden's uh, legal team, but clearly they know they have some real jeopardy. Well, so at the same time, they're taking legal action and then they're stopping the United States Congress from, from running their investigation, which is really very simple. It's just at the beginning, just for basic uh, information and and interviews. Right. And, and Congress, 
uh, dating back to the first Congresses, have an oversight duty inherent in the Constitution. The U.S. Supreme Court has repeatedly said that that oversight power and authority is essential to the legislative function. Uh, and, And thus, committees for more than 200 years have had the authority and the power to force not just witnesses to testify, but to produce documents, which is what the Oversight Committee is asking Hunter Biden to do. And Hunter Biden is saying, stuff it, uh, take a hike, we're not going to do it. Um, so it, it strikes me that the next move is to issue a formal subpoena. And if Hunter Biden continues to resist with his pricey lawyers, including Abby Lowell, uh, then shouldn't uh, Congress vote to hold him in contempt, criminal contempt? <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you, you, you look back on kind of where we've come, just, you know, my career in Congress, where in the Obama-Biden administration, they effectively neutered the Congress. If you remember, we had, I was involved in the investigation of, of Benghazi, the investigation on the IRS targeting conservatives, um, Eric Holder with the gun running in, in Mexico. And essentially, the Department of Justice laughed us off and never enforced the the, the subpoenas, even though we did end up holding uh, Eric Holder in, in contempt of Congress. But, you know, that's all changed now. It changed under the last uh, Congress, where now we know that the proper role of the DOJ and the new precedent that has been set is one that if you don't cooperate with Congress, um, even if you're talking to Congress, we can go raid your home, uh, arrest you, put you in, we can go to the airport, embarrass you, pull you off a plane. So who I'm talking about here is Peter Navarro, uh, one of the former top advisors to President Trump and the Trump administration. You had Steve Bannon, very prominent um, figure in conservative circles, also had worked for the Trump administration. Um, These are all people, Greg, that have been been treated. I mean, I I don't even think uh, 180 degrees difference would be be enough. It's a thousand X uh, in my time in Congress how people are treated. And these are people that were politically targeted uh, you know, arguably, I don't want to. I know you don't. We don't need to get in the January sixth stuff, but you know, these are close, close allies, uh, longtime associates of President Trump, who is a declared candidate and who has been basically Biden's number one opposition. And you have the systematic targeting of of political operatives. So, so in other words, it, you know, Democrats can defy Congress, and that's okay. Uh, but if you're a Republican. Uh, the Department of Justice will go after you with a vengeance. Uh, they will, you know, upon a referral from Congress for contempt, they will criminally charge you and they will prosecute you and they'll try to convict you. But if you're a Democrat, eh, you can do whatever you want and you can do it with impunity. I mean, that's a double standard, isn't it? Yeah. And, and look, that's what it, but but right now we don't know that yet. We know what it was kind of historically going back the last 20 years, but there's a new precedent now. So I'm not going to say, I mean, look, we all know, and and your listeners know, this is basically political targeting and and Republicans are being treated differently than Democrats. But 
The new precedent was just laid over the course of the last couple years by the Department of Justice. So I think it is imperative of the Republican Congress, House of Representatives, they need to immediately, they know this new authority that, that, and the new precedent that's been set. So, you know, there should be, you know, immediate subpoenas that are going out, uh, depositions that are, that are attempting to be scheduled, documents that are being produced, and the Congress should not waste any time and they should hold DOJ's feet to the fire. Now, look, I'm not under any allu- you know, illusion here. I think we know what the outcome will be here, but maybe we will, the American people will learn something along the way. Maybe perhaps there would be, if DOJ doesn't take action, you know, maybe it's where federal courts get involved. We don't know, Greg, but the, but the Congress has got to move and they've got to move quickly, or you're going to have this situation where um, the, the, the slim Republican majority you know, could be wasted because they'll just stall. And I think that's the main thing right now is they're, they're building narratives that, you know, they, the Democrats, the Biden, you know, the Biden administration, Hunter Biden, they're building narratives. They're playing lawfare against the, the citizen who did the right thing by seeing illegal activity and taking it to the FBI. And then they're going to stonewall this Republican Congress and try to run the, run the clock out. And, you know, if we learned anything, uh, from you know the investigation that 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 I ran into Russian collusion uh, is that and if I have anything that I when I look back you know what did we do what did we do wrong uh, you know even though I would say it's probably the most successful congressional investigation in modern history we were way too slow to subpoena way too slow to act um, and then we you know we really didn't we underestimated how corrupt the Department of Justice and the FBI are, especially the National Security Division within the Department of Justice. Yeah. Everything changed, though, with Steve Bannon. Uh, I mean, he adopted the same tactic that Hunter Biden is now employing. He said, I refuse to recognize the legitimacy of the January 6th committee. I'm not going to respect your subpoena. And of course, he ended up in front of a jury found guilty of criminal contempt. So, Mm-hmm. That's the template now. How could Attorney General Merrick Garland not follow the same legal standard that he himself set if Hunter Biden continues to defy Congress? I mean, it would look, uh, wouldn't it, like blatant partisan favoritism if the Attorney General said, eh, we're not going to prosecute Hunter Biden for ignoring his subpoena, even though we prosecuted Steve Bannon for doing it. You know, Greg, that's, you know, just kind of a little, a, a little uh, kind of side story here. I've always found, you know, my time in, in, in Congress and representing uh, constituents, and then, of course, now as CEO of, of True Social, um, I always find out you always learn so much from people that you just kind of, you pick up anecdotal evidence, you know, on the street. And this morning... Um, I was grabbing a cup of coffee, and uh, I'm at our headquarters in in Florida. And you know, I've gotten to know a few of these few of these people, and but I hear this a lot. But this was just this was just a few hours ago. And Greg, I'm sure you get this too. And it's the whole point of who cares? Investigations, you'll expose it, and then not a damn thing will happen. And I mean, that was the, that was the conversation that I had this morning. And it's, the, right. it's multiple conversations that I have I every, every, everywhere that I go, but you're exactly right. It's all we have. 
Um, sadly, you know, I used to, like I used to say, you know, members of Congress don't carry guns and we don't have badges and we don't have handcuffs. You know, that process, I think, had only been used once to go in um, and bring someone in. And I think it was it was like 200 years ago. Um, but we're just at a whole new level here now, right, where it's OK to, st- you know, Pelosi tears up the State of the Union address um, of, of a federal document. And then now it's normalized to almost act like the House of Commons in the UK where members of Congress can just yell, scream and shout. And I'm not being critical of what what happened last week during the State of the Union. It's just, you know, things are evolving. They're not evolving to a, a way that, that that I appreciate or that I think is the best future for the American, you know, for, for the, you know, our democratic republic. But it is what it is. And, you know, all we can do for those people that I, you know, talk to the coffee shop, Look, the, the option is either you do this, you expose it, you 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 get it out there on social media, uh, and you get it out there through through people like you know podcasts like yours, and you expose it to the American people, or you do nothing, and and then it only gets worse, right? Right? The I mean, it's, and it's hard to it, it's hard to stand up and do this, right? People don't like to get hit, they don't get to you know, to get attacked, but I like to think that. As bad as this is, the, the situation we're in, and we're in a very dark chapter of American history, that you were one of the instrumental uh, reporters, one of the few reporters that actually did a damn thing about it, you know, you know, back in 17. But, you know, this all started with a weaponization uh, during the Obama years. They weaponized the National Security Division of the Department of Justice. They worked with the Clinton campaign. They totally corrupted the FBI where they, they were, it was just... It was fine to spy on the Trump campaign, and then who gives a damn? Now we're going to put in a special counsel. You even had Republic, supposed Republicans like Rod Rosenstein, you know, get involved in all this. It was okay to turn around and and spy on my staff like they did. You know that we just found out. Right. Now, Greg, this was all done in 2017. Right. This is before tearing up the state of the universe. This is before the Hunter Biden laptop from hell was hidden from the American public by our intelligence agency. So we're a long way from 2017. And sadly, um, it's going to take new tactics and quick tactics by what little sliver we have of the people that have been elected to hold these guys accountable, which is the, the Republican House of Representatives. Yeah. As I wrote in both my books, The Russia Hoax and Witch Hunt, um, there was never any uh, collusion conspiracy between Trump and the Russians. And the FBI early on knew that. They didn't care. They hid right. that from the American public. They used it as a pretext uh, to investigate Trump to try to drive him from office. And, uh, you know, it, it speaks volumes about the endemic corruption among top officials at the FBI. And sadly, not much has changed. And it extends, uh, Devin, to the, uh, to the Department of Justice. The very fact that Merrick Garland, the attorney general, has consistently refused to recuse himself from the U.S. attorney investigation uh, in Delaware into Hunter Biden, despite federal regulations that require his disqualification, that suggests to me that Merrick Garland is running interference to protect his boss, Joe Biden, and his son, Hunter Biden, even though both are implicated in suspected influence peddling schemes that reaped 
millions of dollars from foreign adversaries. Are you persuaded that this Department of Justice, this FBI, are running essentially a protection racket for the Bidens? Yeah, look, I think you you bring to mind, you know, we talked about how far we've fallen you know, since 2017 when this, when, you know, when, you know, very few of us were able to expose this corruption. They got away with it, Greg, even with a special counsel Durham out there. And even though Durham's brought some very good cases, you go into a court in Washington, D.C., and if you're a Democrat, a jury meets for three minutes and the charges are, are, are dismissed, you know, if you're connected, if you're politically connected. But if you're Steve Bannon or somebody like that, the jury meets right. for three minutes and you're found guilty. Um, but, but we're also forgetting where the, how slippery this slope is. And, you know, for example, it became the norm to burn down buildings under Antifa during in the middle of COVID. And then that leads to the leaking of documents from the Supreme Court, unprecedented in history. They don't find the leaker. You have Supreme Court justices being threatened. And then you fast forward a little bit, just to your point on, on the corruption at the DOJ and the FBI. And I, I think a lot of people have got this story um, wrong, and we don't know the full truth, but, but I want to talk just briefly about the Mar-a-Lago raid. Sure. Greg, that was, in my estimation, pre-planned. And it was oh, yeah. planned as, an, as, a, as a political attack on Trump. And I know exactly who did it. You know who did it. This was done at the top of the Department of Justice. This was, it went on for over a year. You had the archives involved. And they thought, oh, we finally have Trump on something. He's got these documents. And and they believe, and I think, and I think they, it, and you can look at the warrant. They took something from Breitbart, which you know historically the FBI DOJ doesn't see Breitbart as a legitimate uh, news source. Uh, they took it a, a quote from my former lead investigator Cash Patel, um, where he was talking in the Breitbart article about Russia, you know, about RussiaGate documents that, by the way, were all declassified and they're supposed to be at the archives and they're gone. They're not there. Um, and I believe what was going on, Greg, is is that the top people at the DOJ, former Russia hoaxers themselves that, that that graduated up, they all thought, wow, we really got Trump now. We've got him on. He's got these uh, you know, classified documents, which every president has, but who cares? We also know or we believe he's hiding these Russiagate documents, and man, we don't want that those out. So we can kill lots of birds with one stone, and no telling if we get a warrant. That allows us to go through Barron, Trump's Trump and Melania's son's teenage son. We can go through his his drawers to Melania's closet to everything at Mar-a-Lago. Wow, God only knows what we can find. And then on top of that, what they were trying to do, Greg, is they were it was it was like the it was the pinnacle of not only are we going to go in and get all this, but man, when the American people find out and they see the pictures. They find out a judge approved this warrant, and then they see the pictures of the FBI helicopters flying over. Wow, August, what a better way to finally take out Trump. And we'll get all these never-Trumpers and all these, these people that are on the fence on Trump, and we will finally get them to say, enough is enough to throw up their hands. My God, we got the FBI now is raiding, and a judge is involved. That was their plan, Greg. And that's, I think, what people are missing. 
and it backfired. It backfired horribly for them because nobody around the world, you know, I had I got calls from many of the people I used to work with around the world, you know, former intelligence people and things of that nature that work for our allies. They're like, what the hell is going on? Are you guys third world? You're raiding Mar-a-Lago over some freaking documents that they, by the way, they can't even name what the documents are. And that's how I knew this whole thing was, was a hoax because these documents all have numbers. You know what they are. The warrant should have said, Trump has document one, two, three, four, five, and six. He's not giving to them us. We're going to go get them. So that all happens. They think they're going to be greeted as, as you know, the DOJ, they think they're going to be greeted as heroes, never Trump. And and everybody on all the news channels is going to say, we're finally done with Trump. My God, he's he's horrible. And it was going to help them win the, you know, win the uh, November elections. That's what they were doing. And yeah, then what I tripped mean- them up is they didn't realize that the same, the same little, little deep state bureaucrats at the archives failed to recognize that they had a major scandal and that somehow Hunter Biden and his team of people had been taking documents for years and spreading them out all over. And then they hid that. If it can't get any worse, Greg, they hid, they hid that before the November election. So anyway, I only tell you that story just because it's, I think people are, we're just becoming numb to how crazy this stuff is becoming. It really is third world. Right. And, you know, I, and you're absolutely right. I agree with everything you said. And it's so obvious and transparent. Uh, I mean, in writing, uh, President Trump and his aides uh, said to the National Archives, they said to the FBI, take whatever you want. If you think this stuff belongs in that, go ahead, take it. And, and you know, the FBI didn't want that because right. the FBI wanted a raid. Yep. The proper remedy, if you think a former president has documents that belong in the National Archives, the proper remedy um, is to uh, file a motion in civil court uh, to compel production of those documents. Why do I say in civil court? Because the controlling statute is the Presidential Records Act. That's not a criminal statute. It is a civil statute. But the FBI wanted the raid. And and so they, and I, the only thing ahead. I would correct you on is just to make sure I think people get confused between DOJ and FBI. DOJ at the highest levels wanted the raid. Right. Oh, I absolutely. mean, at the highest levels, this had to go to Garland. It had to be with Lisa Monaco. Right. I mean, they 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 built this scheme together. That's I'm sorry. I know it's your show, but no, I just want to make sure that you're absolutely people right. lose sight I'm of that. The FBI is a division of the Department of Justice, so they they work hand in hand. They work in concert. And any decision, you're right, um, over this raid was made directly uh, and personally by Merrick Garland. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when the Trump team said, here, take whatever you want, I mean, that that screwed up the plan that Merrick Garland and Christopher Wray at the FBI had to raid Trump. So they they didn't do uh, what Trump invited them to do. Here, come in, take whatever documents you want, look at anything. That was both, again, as I say, in writing and verbally. Yeah. So instead, you know, they snooker a magistrate down in Florida to yeah. sign off on this clearly illegal, expansive violation of the Fourth Amendment search and seizure provision of the Bill of Rights. And they, they, they get this guy to sign off it. And of course, then they descend uh, on, on Mar-a-Lago. 
Um, but of course, all of that, you know, now in retrospect, uh, looks like uh, overreach and, you know, violations of all kinds of constitutional provisions, not to mention the fact that Joe Biden did the same thing and, you know, kept documents for a lot longer uh, than than President Trump. Well, and it's also and Greg, that's why I think and, and you know, I kind of just to kind of re you know, put an explanation point on that that warrant from that judge, why it's why that's so and so important and so telling. You know, it's the fact that they were, you know, I would actually argue that the that the Biden situation is is, I mean, almost night and day compared to Trump. I and mean, we basically know how the documents got from the documents got boxed up at the end of the Trump administration. They went to Mar-a-Lago, got put in a room. There was back and forth, back and forth. You know, and remember, Trump said, hey, you want to lock it? OK, hey, we'll put a special lock on it, whatever. They're going back and forth about this stuff. And then, you know, from the warrant how corrupt it was, because as somebody who who dealt with classified information for 20 years, Greg, and this is the thing that that gets lost on people that, you know, that, and if you haven't been in this world, it's easy to, to under, you know, to, to understand. But these documents are, are all known. They're all, you know, they come, they originate from somewhere, you know, that people know where they're, you know, they know what they are. They have a name, they have a number, they're, they're, something only gets classified if it gets into somebody's, one of the intelligence agency system. So the fact that they went to the judge to get a warrant that was totally open-ended is completely telling. The second thing that's telling is that Garland knew, I think when they were allowing, I think Monaco and Susan Rice, they were all giddy. They got all their people going and then it blew up royally in their face within hours when people said, what the hell's going on here during the middle of this raid? And even some of the never Trump people had to say, look, this looks pretty bad. And then remember, Greg, and people forget this, 24 hours went by, 48 hours went by, 72 hours went by. It was getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, I don't know, it was four or five days later, Garland comes out and gives this press conference that was, and I think people, you know, should, you should go back and, and watch it because he he came out there, he looked like he just got the living crap beat out of him. And he went out there and said, and I'm just going to paraphrase, we should not be attacking the innocent women in the DOJ and the, and the FBI. Um <laughs> And uh, this has to stop. We all support them. And he walks off the stage, doesn't say, yeah, we just raided the president. We got classified document, one, two, three, four, five. He hid them or whatever the hell the, the you know, justify the madness. He doesn't do that. And then right around that time frame, Greg, you remember, and this is the, the other crazy thing. They stage, they, they scatter documents around at Mar-a-Lago and take photo ops of them. Right. So, Look, I only say I, I'm just saying all this, and I know it. And you know, it infuriates me as somebody who was one of these investigators, and I know it infuriates the American public. But you know, all they can do, all all you can do is expose, expose again, remind people. And I think that's why you know, kind of the point of this of of, of the show here today is Congress has got to move quickly to show. Uh, or give, I guess, give DOJ the opportunity to yeah. hold these people accountable that will not participate in a congressional investigation. Well, you know, I I hope the oversight and judiciary committees can get to the bottom of this, even in the face of 
of Biden and DOJ and FBI obstruction. And it's not just those departments. I mean, Biden's Treasury Department is refusing to produce the 150 suspicious activity reports that evidence millions of dollars flowing into the accounts controlled by Hunter Biden. Uh, You know, the committees are going to have to penetrate this wall of obstruction that Joe Biden and his administration has built. And, you know, this is a Herculean task. But I want to switch if I can now, Mm -hmm. uh, because I know you were following this. My guest is Devin Nunes, former chairman of the Intelligence Committee in the House, now the CEO of Truth Social. Uh, The Oversight Committee hearings, I know you were watching, Twitter executives testified that they were wrong to censor the Hunter Biden laptop story just before the 2020 presidential election. And the evidence shows that they did so at the behest of the FBI, the direction, the encouragement uh, the coercion of the FBI. Uh, but of course, the Bureau already knew that the laptop was authentic. The incriminating contents were real because the FBI had the laptop in its possession for nearly a year since December of, of 2019. And yeah. whistleblowers, Devin, on top of that, have allegedly disclosed to Congress that top officials at the FBI tried to bury the laptop and spread the false story that, oh, it's Russian disinformation. Let me put it to you bluntly. Is the FBI, top officials at the FBI, as I've long argued, are they corrupt? Has has the FBI become, as one witness at the hearing put it, a politically partisan agency riven with corruption? Yeah, I think what you know, one hundred percent, and that's why I I, I want to you know make sure people focus and understand how you know because I always look back, how did they do this? How did they become so corrupt? Well, clearly they knew by taking over the National Security Division, putting everything under intelligence, allowed them to really wall off and create, you know, almost like a Gestapo like team within the inside. Because you know you always hear this. Um, you know, our good friend, Sean Hannity, you know, he's always very careful. He doesn't want to attack the men and women that, you know, that do put their lives on the line. They do, you know, they do a lot of good things to go out there and protect this country. Right. So you wonder, well, how, why are all those people corrupt? No, no, they're not. But what happened is, is by taking over, there's very specific laws that govern intelligence, that govern the National Security Division. And that's allowed them to completely take over and have access to the intelligence apparatus, which in turn has allowed them to politicize intelligence. And then, as you know, the easiest area for, the, you know, with the with the most lax rules uh, in, in terms of protecting one's rights are within the national security of the uh, division of the Department of Justice and the FBI, because they can, they can rule everything as a counterintelligence threat. I mean, well, don't we want to know that Putin's going to, uh, you know, uh, had prostitutes with Trump and did, you know, did all these? Wouldn't, wouldn't we want to know that if he's holding uh, compromise on, on elected officials? And that's, of course, it's tough to argue argue with, right? And then, you know, and everybody, the the intelligence people and the people of the FBI know that, hey, counterintelligence investigation. Sorry, you know, ninety nine percent of you are locked out of it. You can't even ask a question about it. You don't even know its existence. So it allows them to operate 
in this very dangerous dark realm by which you can go, go to secret courts or in some case don't even go to court at all. And you can just pick up intelligence and then you can get it to your buddies and then you can selectively leak it or even worse, you can do what uh, Adam Schiff and the Democrats uh, did for, for so many years successfully. They would go out to the lemmings uh, in, the, in the press that they control and they would say things like, we can't tell you what we've seen, but it's really, really bad and you can take our word for it. Um, no different than the, the 51 intelligence and military people who said, yeah, this is, looks like Russian disinformation. It is the height of hypocrisy and it's so corrupt that, you know, I don't even know, Craig, as somebody who's spent so much of my life investigating these issues and, and thinking about them, it's so, it's so hard. I don't know how you, you know, they're, they're starting with this weaponization of committee in Congress that Jim Jordan is running. Um, there's not even a simple way to tear this all down and build it back again. That's yeah. that's what a bad place they're in. So sorry for the, the long answer, but the bottom line is the National Security Division of DOJ and the FBI, totally corrupt. It's what gave us the lovebirds. It's what gave us, you know, the FISA, the, the fake FISA warrants or the, the real FISA warrants allowed the spying. And just to kind of, to the one final point, Greg, that, that I know you know, but important to show how incestuous this whole situation is, guess who one of the top lawyers for Twitter that testified last week at the hearing was a guy named Jim Baker. Right. A lot of people forget this name. Jim Baker was the highest ranking lawyer at the FBI at the time the whole Russia hoax went down. He left there, lands on his feet. Where? At Twitter. Doing what? Right in the middle of suppressing information and 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 guiding right. Twitter on how to shadow ban and keep information hidden, you can't even make this up. It's so bad. And I, you know, I commend Elon Musk uh, for you know buying Twitter and exposing what went on there with the Twitter files. And those files show, and and these are internal messages, emails. These are hardcore documents incontrovertible documents that show every day the FBI is sending messages to the social media platform requesting that it terminate tweets, shadow ban conservatives, banish accounts that they just didn't like. And the FBI was working in concert with Twitter to diminish the free speech rights of, of millions of, of people. Yeah. But working with, Greg, Jim Baker, yeah, who was, of course. Of course. I, mean, I mean, one of the top, the top guy at the FBI goes where? To Twitter? And look, yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to fault anybody, I'm, but I'm sure he was handsomely paid. Oh, and then yeah, essentially that same national security division with DOJ and FBI, they don't even need to, to, uh, to pay someone like Baker. They don't even need to have some formal process. All they had to do was just pick up the phone. It was probably all just done under the table. They're all buddies. They're all friends. They're all on the same team. I mean, it's right. really incestuous. And, it, you know, there were at least nine former FBI officials working at Twitter. So many, in fact, um, that, you know, they, they, had their own secret messaging system. Uh, (laughs) Reportedly, there were some 80 FBI agents simultaneously monitoring American social media accounts. 
And then they would send these messages uh, to Twitter saying, you know, this person's violating your terms of policy. Since when is it the business of the FBI to enforce a private company's terms of service? It isn't. No. You know, they're holding these meetings and encrypted communications between the FBI and Twitter. Uh, the Twitter files show, as, as one reporter reviewed the document, said it was constant. It was pervasive. And what's so amazing to me as I watched the hearings last week is Democrats like Jamie Raskin are calling for more censorship. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and then their second strategy uh, enunciated again by Jamie Raskin is, well, Twitter and other social media companies are private entities. They can do whatever they want, including censoring and suppressing vital information. He knows because he taught constitutional law that, that that's not true. The Supreme Court has repeatedly ruled that the government cannot get others to censor for them. They cannot direct private companies to do that which the First Amendment prohibits the government from doing. Isn't that what happened with the laptop story? The FBI got Twitter to censor it for them. Yes, and they did it, you know, totally wittingly, um, and it was all planned. And, you know, you, you start with, you know, it's key to to have political control. Um, if you look throughout kind of third world dictatorships for as far, far back as you go, you first control the news and you create the narratives that you want that either promote one side or falsely accuse the other. And you control the whole news apparatus, which we know that 95% of the news is controlled by the, by the hard left. But then what's changed over the last, say, 10, you know, 10 to 15 years has been the delivery mechanism of that news. So it used to be, you know, there was you know, three cable networks. You had the big, you know, ABC, NBC, CBS news. Uh, you had kind of, you know, 10 major newspapers around the, around the country. Um, but there really wasn't a delivery mechanism, right? You had to go buy a paper on Sunday. You had to, you know, if you went to have breakfast, you'd have to put in, you know, I remember, you know, have what is like, you know, $2 and 50 cents in quarters you'd have to put in to buy that Sunday paper. Greg, that wasn't that long ago. That's how you received, you know, you basically received your information. Then you'd go home and you turn on the television and, and, and that's how your information was received. Well, that really started to blow apart and it, and it reached, I think it's pinnacle in 2016, where people were receiving their information primarily from three locations. Okay, you had Google, they were searching, which that's been completely uh, uh, disjointed now in terms of what's censored there in a Google, Google search and other search engines. Second, you had Facebook. Third, you had Twitter. And, you know, Donald Trump, you know, everybody forgets, he didn't have the support of the establishment um, Republicans, and nobody thought he was going to win. But he successfully showed that you could use a free and open internet to communicate to the masses and get around all of that, all of that fake news. So I only tell you that story. Uh, it's because you know they the, the left knows when they have control of these social media delivery systems. It's like controlling the remote to your television 15 years ago to turn on Meet the Press on a Sunday morning. Right. It's like going to that restaurant and having to put in $2.50 in quarters 
to pull out and get the paper that you then go home and read. And then you might talk to, you know, then I might call you, Greg, on the phone years ago and say, hey, did you read that front page story? Um, you know, can't believe that. That's how we communicate. Now, it's, you know, it, that got, all got blown apart and you can you can communicate instantaneously. Right. And that's the real, that's the real change here that the left quickly understood. Whoa, we, you know, we had, they had a pretty good monopoly on the propaganda delivery system, but, you know, a Fox News and a, and a few conservative uh, outlets, they could, you know, they could put a counter narrative out there. But when you shut that narrative down to where it can't be delivered on Twitter, can't be delivered on Facebook, can't be found in a search engine, can't see it on YouTube, that's how you end up, Greg. And, and this is why I left Congress to create True Social. It's how you end up after the 2020 election with over half of America in the polling think that Republicans and Trump had done something nefarious or wrong with Vladimir Putin in Russia, even though the opposite was true. I spent four years of my life debunking that whole nonsense, then only to realize like, wow, wait a second, how are these people being brainwashed? How could you possibly believe and not understand that you had Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, Lovebirds, McCabe, Rosenstein, all of these characters working with the Clinton campaign, putting out a fake dossier. How could you not know that? Well, the only answer is because there was plenty of information out there, Greg. You wrote books. It was on Fox. It was on in all the conservative areas. It only leads you to one point, and that is that the information is going through a funnel and it's being separated off on kind of how middle America, people who don't really pay attention to politics, how middle America receives their information. They, it's like an information desert that they put so much propaganda saying Trump, Russia, Trump, Russia, Trump, Russia. And it became, you tell a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. And that's why, you know, Donald Trump figured out, he got kicked off all these social media platforms, calls me and says, look, you know, would you be willing to come and run this company to social? And it's, it's why I left Congress, because I knew that without this type of delivery mechanism, you, you know, you end up with the National Security Division of the Department of Justice that looks like a third world dictatorship. Absolutely. My guest uh, has been Devin Nunes, uh, former Co California congressman who was chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, uh, now CEO of Truth Social. And, and Devin, thank you for taking the time and especially thank you for your incredibly uh, hard work, your courage in spending years exposing the corruption uh, within these government agencies. Much appreciated. Well, Greg, it's an honor, obviously, to be with you. And I've always, as I said earlier, respected, um, you know, your consistency on trying to get to the truth. But I really appreciate being with you. All right. We'll talk again soon. Devin Nunes, thanks very much. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening.